Welcome to B&B Financially Free, the podcast for ambitious individuals chasing financial freedom through buying short-term rental investments. We're your hosts, Chantal and Peter, and we're the founders of Good Neighbor Realty. Our brokerage has helped hundreds of people turn their active income into passive income by buying unique properties in incredible locations that are earning a ton of money. On this show, we'll bring on a diverse range of guests from industry experts to everyday people who have achieved extraordinary results in their short-term rental investments, businesses, and personal lives. Whether you're seeking tactical advice or trying to unlock your richest life, BNB Financially Free is here to join you on the journey. Welcome to another episode of BNB Financially Free. I am so excited to have Tyler in the house today. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, so I cannot wait to dig into your story because you have a really successful story of purchasing a short-term rental while in a W-2 and then creating a management company out of it. Um, so let's just start from the beginning. What initially got you interested into short-term rentals? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I had been laid off a few times. I work in tech. Um, I had made the switch from restaurants into catering to tech and was just sick of this process of feeling like I'm after this secure role. I'm trying to make a name for myself, trying to create a, a lifestyle that I enjoy. And I just keep getting laid off, recessions, <laughs> COVID, whatever it was. And it felt like I just constantly kept hitting this wall where um, I'm, you know, afraid of my financial situation. My wife and I were just trying to get off our feet. So um, I saw on Instagram a few different times some folks who were doing Airbnb. And I actually had a buddy uh, out in Palm Desert who got bought a rental during COVID. And he was starting to tell me his numbers. And obviously, it's Palm Desert. It's a really large market. But I was like, this is unreal um just how much money he was making and he was working for uh, a great aerospace company and he quit off his rental company and i was just like whoa okay i gotta get into this and this is an opportunity for us to take control over our finances so um once we were able to buy our first home we, my wife and i both agreed like we're not dealing with this financial strain anymore we need to take control so we bought a rental um through good neighbor that's awesome. I we were talking about this before, but it's so true. You know, we have this idea that we'll have security by getting like a normal W-2 job, yeah. but then, you know, things happen. Like right now in tech at the time of this recording, like it's kind of a volatile space and people are losing their jobs and are getting laid off and you know, I was talking to a friend the other day and I, I was just thinking like, wow, you know, with my short-term rental properties, with being an entrepreneur, like I get to choose when I work, like nobody yeah. gets to make that decision for me. Yeah. And so even for people who, you know, maybe don't want to leave their job and they, you know, might not necessarily want to become an entrepreneur to have something that you're building outside of your W-2 that you have a little bit more control of, I think is really powerful. Um, were you afraid to jump into real estate investing just because it it is different than what you were doing in your everyday job? Yeah, yeah, definitely. My family had rentals, like specifically on my dad's side. Um, my uncle has six long-term rentals. My dad had bought one and uh, his tenant died in the property as a squatter. So he hadn't paid what? rent, but this is in California. You couldn't evict anyone, crazy problems. So Major fears. I mean, super large trauma blocks trying to get into real estate, which is why I chose short term. It's like you can't 
you can have a squatter, but it's really unlikely. Airbnb is awesome with forking out for damages and stuff. And you hear all these horror stories of seeing your rental after a year and for long-term rentals, that is, and it being a nightmare. So short-term was way more appealing, both cash flow wise and uh, tenant wise damage to the home. And when we got involved in the beginning, I mean, yeah, you definitely have a lot of that. Um, what if nobody comes to my birthday party kind of feeling like <laughs> that's the best way yeah. to put it. <laughs> yeah. Like what if I list this rental and it sucks and like nobody shows up um, and then you get your first booking and <laughs> that all goes away. But yes, major fears, major irrational fears and rational. You're taking a risk. It's an investment. It carries risk. You're funding a company with mortgage financing. You're on the hook for five, eight percent financing, whatever you get. So definitely major risk. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely fear. That is exactly how I felt about short-term rental in the beginning, though, because I had heard these horror stories of squatters like, you know, we're here in Colorado. We don't necessarily have the most friendly landlord laws either. And so I was like, what, it, what am I going to do? Like every year, like when I basically have to redo like my property because there's normal wear and tear and like what happens with like an eviction and what if they don't pay? And yeah. I loved short-term rental because you're paid upon check-in. Airbnb, I am happy that you said what you did because I feel the same. Like people have been, you know, complaining about like, oh, you know, Airbnb or Verbo, they're not super host supportive. But I'm like, who are you going to call if you're long-term yeah, tenant? Does anything. <laughs> There's nobody yeah. to call. Whereas like with Airbnb and Verbo, like I've called and like said like, hey, someone smoked pot in the house and they're like, here's some money for remediation. Yeah, I'm like, immediately. Wow. It's lovely. Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's huge. We have that all the time. Like, you know, we have a larger property, so it sleeps 12. Um, there's damage. There's wear and tear that happens, but I've never had an issue with Airbnb. If you're an honest host, if you, um, I think people abuse the system mm -hmm. for sure. But mm -hmm. what I found is find your receipts, you know, find something reasonable, submit it. If the guest declines, I've never waited more than 72 hours to get paid out. And that, you know, creates a lot of loyalty for me on the brand side with Airbnb and Verbo. Haven't had any Verbo guests with problems. They're always pretty good for mm -hmm. me. But, um, but yeah, exactly your point. It's great to get paid out um, mm -hmm. and taken care of by the place that you're also supporting their business. A hundred percent. So let's walk through your first deal. So you're local to Colorado here. Um, so you decided to purchase a property in the state that you lived in. Tell us about like where you bought it, what the purchase price was, um, what the property was like, what work you may have had to do to it. Yeah. Um, so I think it all started with we had a friend who had used Good Neighbor, specifically you, um, and that sold everything for us. They had bought this beautiful home. They were renting the basement and it was like a no brainer for us. Then they talked about how much you guys helped with the sale and just the research on the property. Um, and I had started getting pretty into it myself using tools like AirDNA, um, just scouring all kinds of places. So I was looking at specifically Bend, Oregon, uh, Arnold, California. Um, I'm from California originally and uh, Colorado mountains. And we came down to this idea of the Airbnb bust was like a big mm -hmm. trend at the time. A lot of falsified numbers, a lot of like scary metrics were going out at the time uh, in 2022 when we bought. Um, you got me in touch with the realtor, Josh, who was uh, awesome. He had a rental and it was doing amazing. So 
and he was an evergreen. So that really helped us kind of narrow in like that one hour from Denver airport kind of distance. Uh, AirDNA helped me narrow down to Idaho Springs specifically. Uh, my mom had a friend who lived in Idaho Springs. They're like, they just moved out and rented their house and it does unreal. So I was like, let's check it out. Um, all the other markets had crazy seasonality, just nuts. And for some reason, Denver specifically and the mountains in the nearby area of Denver really don't have super intense seasonality. Um, so we chose Idaho Springs because they had whitewater rafting in the summer, tons of breweries, a great downtown, and then within an hour to the ski resorts. So we figured we might be able to really negate how much seasonality we face in this investment. Um, so chose Idaho Springs, specifically a neighborhood called uh, St. Mary's Glacier, which we found was the number two hiking destination in the state. So we were like, awesome. Um, that's going to attract people. Uh, so try to mitigate as much of those like worries as we can. As like At least there's, there's uh, you know, we have volume of people coming through here. There's constant, constant attraction to this area for most of the year. Um, and then we had a price point, very specific price point. Um, couldn't buy something too high. Rates were kind of on that awkward swing where they were really low and prices were high. And then rates were starting to go up. And at the end of summer, rates had risen a bit to about 5%. And that's when people started really sitting for the first time on the market, especially not the really qualified great homes. And we knew that uh, you don't buy the turnkey home on an investment property. You buy something that needs work. So um, that's what we did. We chose a home that had a ton of bedrooms, uh, a lot of square footage, but needed some cosmetic work. They had a really bad deck that needed to be replaced. Things that we felt like was within our budget, but not so much to where you're, you know, you're taking on the way too big of a flip project and the fixer upper that you, you know, go bankrupt off of kind of thing. So that's how we kind of narrowed in our search to Idaho Springs. And then Josh was great with kind of confirming our suspicion that this could do really well. Um, and then after that, it was really like forecasting. Like, let's break down the actual numbers. Now that we have an approved mortgage, um, we're going through the offer. We're trying to figure out, okay, here's what AirDNA is telling us the 50th percentile can do, which was about $107,000. And that's really what the price when I was looking for was under $600,000 for the home uh, and over $100,000 in revenue. I felt like whatever I'm not thinking of, I'm going to be able to make up that margin. And that's at least enough of a buffer between my $40,000 mortgage and, you know, $100,000 in revenue. Whatever I'm forgetting in the between, it's probably going to be covered. I think that's really smart because, you know, what we tell most people is if you're in this for cash flow, you really need to be making between 15 and 20% of gross revenue per the purchase price. But I think also what you guys did is you really curated something that people wanted to stay at because on that same vein, I think it's rare that you just accidentally stumble into a 500K property that's right. going to make 100K. Right. You know, if it wasn't for the things that you guys probably did in the property, which I'm excited to get into, your property could easily make 75,000. Easily. Like Mary's Glacier. So yeah. how do you how do you invest in a property to really garner that higher revenue? Because what what did you guys earn last year on this property? Uh, we did 120 ish thousand like i think it was on 22 is what we cracked out at. and we would that was our first year so we thought 107 was the 
the mark. Um, and to your point, we didn't perform well in the beginning. Um, we also launched in January. So going into the slow season, a lot of you guys did a great job warning me, like, it's going to be slow. Um, that's also just Colorado's slower season. So initially we went in and we said, uh, we made the mistake I think a lot of people make, which is way too many functional seating areas in my <laughs> Airbnb. Um, we had like three different lounging areas. And I was like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll put a poker table in. I've heard amenities or everything and a hot tub. I knew that hot tubs bring out about a hundred bucks a night uh, on average of your rentals. So let's at least do that. So we spent some money on the hot tub. We repaired the back deck, completely remodeled it because I figured, you know, that's something, it was dangerous to guess. So couldn't have that. Um, so we redid the deck and then did some painting and I did kind of the basics like uh, uh, an accent wall. Uh, my wife, so talented, she hand painted an accent wall of the Colorado mountains in our rental. It's amazing. Um, and it really gave us that kind of splash photo. And then we rode the wave of the beginning bookings, thought it was enough, um, was really excited. And then we hit the slow season. And at the same time as the slow season, also the drop in ranking um, as we came down from being a new listing. That's when we realized like, People are still going to the mountains. They're just, there's not as many. There's not the volume. So while we're on track to hit that 50th percentile, maybe 90,000 on the year, I think we were on track for at that time, just forecasting wise of our bookings, we realized, you know, there are places up here doing like 150, 175, even 200, which means we're underperforming uh, for what we could be doing. Um, so we did that market research and I talked to a great company. Um, they were a design company of, of someone that I followed. And I think they were actually involved in the good neighbor circle at the time as just these super talented women that were designing homes and they were all doing spectacularly. So I did a session with them and just said like, I feel like this home could do better, but I don't know how. Got some pricing from them. Unfortunately, I was not in the position in the risk time that we were in, just wondering if we were going to make money to jump on it. But they did give me a lot of confidence that it was worth at least trying to do some more. And competition was getting big. So we actually saw our June revenue, which was like 10,000 bucks, I think, um, which at the time we had never done more than six. So June was coming up and this was about April when we saw this and we're like, wow, we want more months like that. And I think there's more people coming up here. So we took those slow months invested what we were going to get in June and redesigned the property. We added um, a lot more things that were filterable. So like pool tables, things like that, that on Airbnb, you could filter for our property and it would show up. We also started allowing pets at that time. I love that idea to like actually go because they have it there for you. Yeah. I've yeah. never, I've, I've never thought about doing that, but like going through all of the filters and thinking like, what are people actually looking for? Because they're the people with the data and the reps to see what people are filtering for. I think that that is such a great idea. Absolutely. Once we started allowing pets, we brought in pool, shuffleboard. Um, I think the total redesign was like $15,000. Um, took a bit of a risk. I took out a American Express business credit card, um, used that profit, whatever we were going to have left over. I think July was also looking pretty good at the time. So we were like, hey, let's reinvest everything we're going to get over these two months back into this business. Let's not take an unnecessary loan, but um, an amount we can pay off that we think will make a difference. Um, so we 
bought new furniture in some areas, like nice Adirondack chairs, a fire pit, string up lights, a lot more of the things that are going to splash on photos, which we didn't focus on enough in the beginning. Um, and once we made that switch, everything changed from there. Uh, I think we did like $90,000 from June to December then. What? Yeah, it was <laughs> absurd. Like we did so terrible in the beginning that we, I think our first profit month was um, March and we made like 300 bucks. And then I had a guest destroy part of the place. And I was just like, well, there goes that 300 bucks plus another thousand more. So um, once we got to June, it was like, it's go time. And now this year we haven't needed to do anything, any changes that we are now seeing March as like the biggest month of the year where it was like a 200 or $300 profit month last year. This year it's, you know, doing over 17,000. So it's pretty remarkable, the design change and just really focusing on design and pop and amenities for these huge groups that want to go have a good time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you really have created an outlier property now um, because it's not like, you know, it's not like travel is just increased in no, Idaho Springs no, yeah. at all. No, in no. fact, like it, it could be argued that, you know, with everything that's going on at the time of this recording in our economy, that maybe even travel, there might be slightly less travelers yeah. there. Another thing that I really like that you touched on earlier was the fact that you looked at a mountain area that was an hour away from our metropolitan. And I really think that this is so transferable to like many different markets. Like, you know, you have Seattle and then you have these like adjacent like mountain areas. You have San Fran, you have, you know, San Diego and all of these adjacent areas or even Austin. And then you have like cool little like spots in Texas that you mm -hmm. can be within like an hour to an hour and a half from a major metropolitan. And you, I don't know if you see this, but I have a property that is in um, Blackhawk. It's about an hour west of Denver. I, half of my guests are local and half of my guests are from like Texas, yep. Florida, California. Yep. Yeah. You capitalize on maybe the largest market of mountain tourism. I mean, if you look at the Vail area, I mean, there's hardly anybody from the United States during the winter there. It's France. I mean, there's their airport has more international private jet arrivals during the winter than almost anywhere. And so when you look at that, you go, well, I would love to capitalize on this flood of people who come in here. And if you're in Denver and you think of Idaho Springs, you go, yeah, it's a cute little town, but so close to home. Why would I necessarily stay there? versus people from Illinois or Minnesota or Texas or Florida. They're like, this is perfect. It's like 40 minutes to the ski resorts. It's so, you know, you're capitalizing on a group of people who are flying in and want a place and they don't have to drive two and a half hours to get to Vail or pay Vail prices even. Um, <clears throat> and their whole group can get there and it's not far. And I get bachelor parties who like They'll come and they'll go skiing for a day and then they'll go to Denver for a day or they'll go to Red Rocks for a show and providing that opportunity to do all of them, go for a hike and go to a Rockies game. I think to the point earlier, it reduces your seasonality for sure. If you're only, I you know we analyzed Keystone for a while in Breckenridge <clears throat> and they were just like absurd HOAs, but also the seasonality was way more intense and you can only get so many rentals. So if your whole season of making money is six months, 
you know, what are you going to do for those six months? And I wanted to, you know, my wife's not very high risk tolerance. So this was the best way to go in there and say like, hey, it's going to be pretty consistent. And we have found that this year, especially it's pretty much break even or profit every month, no matter what. Um, now that we've capitalized on whoever's traveling there, we're, they're probably looking at our place earlier um, than later, you know, as far as I agree with you. It's funny because I get asked all the time, like, why are people staying in these little mountain towns? Like I thought people come to Colorado to go skiing and you yeah. might have that um, suspicion in other markets. Like you might think like, why would anybody want to stay in this like little area? But honestly, it's people like my family. So like when we were growing up, like we weren't a ski family. It was like too expensive at the time. My We talked about this, but I come from a family with four daughters and <laughs> like we, yeah. we couldn't do like big ski trips every year. And so we would find a destination that we could go hiking, that we could spend time like making meals together mm -hmm. and memories and being outside and like being in a house with like fun amenities, but also like we would have access to like a major city to go, you know, like shopping and restaurants and all of those things. And so there's a huge demographic of people that aren't just coming to a destination just for skiing. And I, yeah. I see that in other markets like like Utah, for instance, like there are areas outside of key, uh, of ski towns that mm -hmm. are still really lucrative. And I like what you said, too, about just seasonality and knowing what type of investor you are. Like there's a lot of different ways that this game can work. Like I have people who are killing it in Keystone, but you're 100 percent right. Like the seasonality there is much more drastic. You know, if you're getting a 55 to 65% occupancy rate, it doesn't look like, oh, you're getting that like throughout the month. It's like you're getting it during ski season and you're getting it during summer. And outside of those months, nobody's booking yeah. your place. Right. Whereas you're in a place where you're not going to be empty any month out of the no. year. Yeah. But your pricing is probably much different. Can you talk to me about, you know, what does your pricing look like? Like on what's the lowest nightly rate that you'll take and what amount of guests are you sleeping and what's the highest nightly rate that you've gotten on that property? Yeah, sure. Um, we started with, our, we thought our average price was going to be $400. It was like 407 was supposed to be the average. So we use a great tool called Price Labs. Um, highly recommend it. Uh you know, changes like, you know, changes the rate every night, every 24 hours, um, based on any rule sets you have, as well as competitive data for any of the, um, properties nearby. And so what I did find with price labs was they were pulling winter park data for how we have this massive mountain in between with no road there. So it's still an hour to winter park, but, uh, as the bird flies, it's like maybe five, 10 miles, um, from where we are. So, we were pulling some of that data, which kind of messed with our pricing at first, but the lowest price we took in the very beginning was like 200 bucks. Worst guest I've ever had. Um, and I had this uh, family friend who owned this limo business and he said, if you're not doing very well, raise your price. You're offering a somewhat luxury accommodation. Uh, don't lower your price, raise it. And I keep seeing this over and over. And it's great advice. If you're going to price compete, um, it usually ends up in losing. Everybody loses then. So we added those new amenities. We changed everything. And now our absolute minimum price is 450 bucks. 
And I think if you go with like the last minute discount that Airbnb suggests of like five, 10%, I think you can get it for like 407. Um, and that's in like April, midweek kind of a thing. The highest price I've seen on the property was this past New Year's, like over 1600 a night. Um, I definitely won't cap my price on price labs. So whatever the market demands, it'll go to. Um, I've seen as high as 1900 as a option. And then it like will fall down to like 1600 when it actually books. So somewhere in that range is the highest. The average right now that I'm looking at, which I'm so pumped with, is we're at 770 average nightly rate, um, which compared to our 407 analysis in the beginning is like, it feels life-changing at times. It's just like, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> I, it really does. You know, there's something yeah. so exciting about like getting the little email that's like, you're getting paid today. And yeah. Like, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like a lot of money. It's, it's a awesome. huge amount. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're talking what I used to see in like monthly salaries. I'll be like hanging out and I get a booking and I'm just like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like, you know, you're getting 3000 bucks for a three night booking. It feels huge. I mean, it changes everything for you. If you're, that's your mortgage for the month or your mortgage, 5,000 bucks, 4,000 bucks, whatever. It's like you get two bookings and you're good to go. And then you have your other expenses. And we do a lot of things for the guests to encourage good reviews. Like we leave a lot of nice features in the home. Like we leave like a s'mores kit. And um, I used to leave like, uh, you know, a little case of something for, especially for our first guests to try and get good reviews. We, a lot of little things like that to try and encourage like bath bombs in the um, bathtubs. And so you spend money on supplies and stuff, but I think it brings out the best reviews and the more good reviews you get, the more bookings you get. And you sort of get this domino effect of Airbnb's algorithm where you just climb like crazy. The more bookings you get, the more ratings you get, the more bookings you get, the more views you get. It's just, it's amazing how it really uh, kind of compiles on itself once you start seeing some success on their platform. Yeah, I agree with that. Once they like you, you're like you're solid. <laughs> you're yeah, solid. yeah. You you get definitely like you feel like you're in like in the club. Yeah, super. I love that new like guest favorite <laughs> banner. It, it just makes me feel so good every time I see it. It's like oh nice, we're in it. We've we made did it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah That's exactly. awesome. Um, so you when you purchased the property and when you first launched, mm. you had a full time W two job. Talk yeah. to me about like what it was like, because you don't live that close no. to this property. Yeah. So talk to me about managing a property and what I'm going to define as like a more rural location yeah. that's not super close to you while working a job. Like what did that workload look for you? What challenges could you expect if you're someone who maybe is managing far away or out of state or in St. Mary's Glacier is known for extreme weather? Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, it was incredibly overwhelming to start. I'd never owned a home before that. So uh, there's also just home ownership things that we were learning, like water heaters and vents and things that you have to clear. Um, but, you know, yeah, crazy weather, 100 plus mile an hour winds, 300 inches of snow every year. So and you're also in an area that's hard to uh, it's not very accessible during these storms. So teams. Um, I really built this business with the idea that it's a business. I didn't build it with the idea that it was going to be passive income that I never have to deal with. I knew I was starting a hospitality business and going into that way, we built it for scale. So smart locks, um, great internet, reliable internet. Some of my neighbors up there, they use like HughesNet. Uh, not a huge fan. I was like, 
let's pay for real internet so it doesn't go out. Or if it does go out, there's going to be a team that goes and fixes it quickly because there's also no cell phone service up there. Um, and then on top of all that, making sure that you're treating the people who live up there really well. So giving your number to everybody around there, like, hey, if I have a guest and they're like totally screwed, I might need some help. And what I found was that community specifically really valued a handshake. They really valued go up there, shake their hand, look them in the eyes, talk to them about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're trying to bring value to their community. Going oh, man, into- we're going to have to get into this. Yeah. Like, tell me tell yeah. me about those interactions because that that is yeah. one of the things, like, especially in these, like, smaller communities, you know, like, as short-term rental hosts, like, we have to realize that, like, we're bringing in, you know, new people to their neighborhood and a lot of times they're sensitive to this. Like, how did you approach that conversation with the neighbors and what advice would you have for someone who maybe is looking to do something similar? Yeah, absolutely. Canvas your neighborhood um, when you're buying. Uh, I, I was actually, we were going to close on a property in Evergreen. And then I did some research on Jefferson County um, and their rules, which seem fair for what they're trying to do. And they're trying to keep it a resident community. So I'm all for it. Um, but that property was going to do amazing. It had like a 160 on air DNA. So it was like, deal. But I canvassed the neighborhood before we bought and I knew Jefferson County was strict. So um, talked to the neighbor and the first neighbor I spoke to was like, don't come to my neighborhood. And I knew it's like, this is going to be a nightmare. Everybody talks about this. It's your cleaners and your neighbors are your two biggest issues with Airbnbs. And so I canvassed the neighborhood. I, I walked around. I tried to explain it to folks in the way of I'm, there's not much industry up here. So I would love to employ everybody's services I can. I hired a cleaner that was in the neighborhood um, my neighbor was an arborist. I did not need my trees cut down, but I got some cut down anyways. Um, I did that too. <laughs> you know, just provide the wealth and show them that, yeah, I'm from Denver and specifically then California, which is like double negative for those rural communities. But I'm not here to ruin anything for you. I'm here to bring you business. Uh, this is an opportunity to provide growth to everybody here. If you're an entrepreneur, so am I. And how can my business use your business and we can all win by me being up here. Not, I'm here to take from you and ruin your neighborhood and jack up your home prices. And I mean, for those folks, it's good if you jack up your home price, but you know, not be a disruptor in the community, but an addition. So, and a silent one, ideally, you know, you come up there, you add value. And I specifically, if there's voting things for like property association, I ask around, how are you guys who live up here feeling about this vote? And that's when the, you know, you can use me in that way. Um, I'll advocate for you because we all help each other. I don't live up there. So they talk about paving the roads a lot is a big thing up there. Um, wealthy people come up there and want paved roads, but paved roads get icy and they deteriorate and they also jack up your property taxes. So when we had a vote on that, I asked around, I asked my cleaners, I asked the arborist, I asked my neighbors, like, how, what do you want for living up here? Um, I would love a paved road. <laughs> doesn't bother me at all, but that's not what they wanted. So I vote with them and then they know that and they know I'm on their side. And, um, I feel like that helped build a really nice community and just making sure that you're making sure they feel respected and their complaints are heard about if there is a problem. But typically if your business is fueling their business, they don't mind the noise or the random rowdy guest here and there. 
Um, you can get away with a lot more for sure that way. Mm-hmm. I think that that's so important to keep the peace and also to come in it with a heart to want to serve the community and impact people around you in a good way. And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, in short-term rentals, we talk so much about like the revenue potential and like, we love that. It's, yeah, it's very exciting. Sure. It's life-changing for people. But also like the number of people that are impacted that also care for your property, like your cleaners, your handymen, the small businesses, the the neighbors in these communities who do snow plowing during the <laughs> yeah. winters yeah. and, you know, fire mitigation during the summers. Like you don't realize that that is a huge part of someone's livelihood and come and I, I've been asked multiple times, like, hey, will you contribute to fixing this road or, you know, being a part of this thing. And I've, I've seen people choose not to engage in that way. And I'm kind of like, shame on you, you know, like you're not being a good member in the community. And so I think that that's so important. Um, talk to me about how much time you spend managing the properties. Yeah. I think in the beginning it's a lot. And I guess I didn't even answer your question about the W2. Um, but it's minimal once you get things set up. And that's why we set everything up for scale. It was like, I have a job. My wife has a phenomenal job. She's really busy. So how much time can we really afford to spend on this all the time? Um, It provides nice revenue, but it wasn't going to replace my salary or hers. It was just like, we live even better now. So I think in the beginning, it was exhausting. Um, I'd probably recommend taking some time off and just focusing on like, you know, take a couple weeks and do your furniture. I was trying to drive up there every day and then like after work, get stuff done because there's no service and no Wi-Fi for the first few months. So there was major time commitment in the beginning. It was no easy task to get the place set up. It took us about three months, which in the grand scheme of Airbnb is pretty good. Um, at the time was very stressful. Whereas now specifically, I set everything up with tooling. Um, so guesty for host management, um, as far as like syncing my calendars goes and automated messaging for pre-booking or you know you get a booking confirmation check-in mid-stay and check out um it's all automated so it doesn't take you any time it also reviews your guests which is huge and then i use price labs for my pricing which integrates with guesty and then uh we use quickbooks online for the automation of like reporting and things like that that we need so maybe an hour I think every guest, I usually get a question, but that's, I think, just due to the size of the home. And it's in the mountains, so homes can be finicky up there. And so I always get at least a question, uh, maybe two at the most. But an hour, I would say, just to check in, check on the cameras, just like make sure things are looking good, make sure my cleaners are doing things well. But I think I also maybe spend a little more time than I need to because I'm looking to grow this business. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit, but with the property management that I'm trying to grow right now, uh, I spend more time to make sure that this is a scalable solution that we're not running into like major issues of because I've created things too manually. And essentially is. I think that that's very smart to think about this at scale. And I am guilty of just wanting to like get it live immediately. I'm not a systems person. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, I I spent far too long managing without the right tech in place mm-hmm. in the beginning. But once you just invest the time up front, it really is like a machine that yeah. runs 
pretty much on its own with like little things here and there. Like you're rarely going to spend like an hour in one day on the property. It's going to be like small questions and small little things and communicating with the cleaner over time. Um, I'm really excited to hear about your transition into what you're doing from a management perspective. I think you have a really unique story in that. And I think that that happens a lot in the space where, you know, the people who really love it, like you just can't help but see other opportunity to get yeah. into this business. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah, I think uh, it feels very natural for me, this growth. So it was something that was worth taking on. Um, the whole idea with what we were trying to do was I love going on vacation. So if I'm on vacation, can I run this property? And then if I can run this property, I can likely run other properties. And if it's going well, we even tested it out. I mean, we moved away for six months and just tried it out. Like, how does it feel running it from far away? And it was definitely doable, but you really rely on your teams, like cleaning, um, maintenance, stuff like that. And so treating your cleaners well is like top tier priority. I I bonus them. I incentivize them all the time. And I think that really helps. Um, As far as the property management goes, it was something that I had my eyes on in the very beginning was, you know, maybe I can move away from my W-2. It was a route my buddy took as well. And, you know, when he quit his job, he was working a few hours a week. And I think that's a dream for a lot of us is work as little as possible for as much money as possible and also something within our control. And that feels creative in our own way, whatever that means for you. So um, property management was something I worked, uh, I work in like account management for tech companies. So it was already kind of on my, in my wheelhouse. It was just customer engagement, support, things like that. And so uh, I offered up some property management services to a neighbor in the, in the area. They were looking to list their home as a short-term rental. They seemed a little over their head a little bit, just unsure of how to go. It's just a wealth of information out there, but it's hard to know where to start. So I offered that to them uh, and to get my first customer, it was like, hey, let's just do no contract, no obligation. What if I just teach you how to do this? And while I'm doing that, I'll manage the property and take a small commission. Um, But I won't like, this isn't like a legit thing that you have to take on, you know, underselling myself, obviously, to try and get a first customer. Um, And it started going really well. I started realizing, you know, I like doing this. This is really exciting to me. So again, I want to provide value to this neighborhood without taking business from somebody else. Um, Property management can be something that up there is someone's way of living. So I really wanted to avoid doing that. So I talked to my cleaners who are very integrated in that community. They have uh, 30 plus rentals that they clean specifically. And so I asked them, I said, you know, this is something I'm looking to get into. Um, I think I'm doing pretty well. They had given me some feedback that my home was renting more than any of their other properties. So I figured probably have some pedigree here to sell this. When I asked them, I approached them and I said, I don't want to step on toes up in this neighborhood. But I did notice that some of the homes are managed by an on a popular like online uh, property management software. So nobody local, just some corporation taking money from the community. And uh, that doesn't seem like I'd be stepping on toes. So I offered my cleaners a very large referral bonus for anyone being managed by that company specifically. Um, just so I wasn't disrupting anyone. 
And they were like, yeah. And I noticed that that company was offering like 150 bucks for a referral. So I offered my cleaners $1,500. I love that. <laughs> Just to like blow people away and make it worth their time. And their, um, and it was obviously there was like rules. Like it was like, I'll give you 800 bucks for three, uh, you know, less than three bedroom place. And I'll give you 1500 bucks for three bedrooms or more. Just knowing that, you know, I can tweak it to rent really well. So they brought me a customer pretty quickly, um, which was a huge customer, three cabin look, uh, customer, and they just signed with. So all of a sudden this went from like just my rental to now there's four properties under management. And that all started two months ago. Um, wow, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And that's so cool because now you have like this little portfolio of homes that are all in this area. Yeah. And you're actually really like serving a need because it's it's hard for people to manage a property in like some of these extreme conditions. Yeah. And so because you already learned how to do that well by spending some extra time mm -hmm. like learning the property and being more hands on, like now you can do that for them pretty simply. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, this has been such a good conversation. I really, really appreciate you sharing about this. I think that you know, you've created like this outlier property. And I think that you're really prioritizing like the people on your team and you're taking good care of them. And that's like everything that, you know, I think everybody dreams of when they're getting mm -hmm. into the space. Um, do you have any advice for someone who is new to this space and maybe has a normal W-2 job and is considering whether or not investing into this sort of business is a good idea for them? Well, one, if they're in the Colorado area, I would, and we've never talked about this, but I'm a huge advocate. Everybody I talk to, I say, go to a good neighbor meet. Um, it really can change your life. You can see the real numbers in person. It's huge. Um, I tell all my property management customers that. I go, when they say like, oh, I don't know how long we'll do this. I go, great. Go to a good neighbor meet. Like you can learn everything that you need and also get connected with a host of people um, who know what they're doing a lot more than maybe even I do. So that's my first suggestion is wherever you're located, you know, go meet people who are doing it. Um, so you can see it for yourself. Get, your, you know, get your hands wet kind of, mm -hmm. um, a, kind of a deal there. And then two, there is risk in all investing. Um, I had some money in the stock market and it lost 40% and it was in the S&P. So like that doesn't, you know, nothing is foolproof. Um, there's going to be struggles. It's not in any way passive, I found, but it's close. And if you have a full-time W-2 and you can spend a couple hours a week once it's set up, and there's also a lot of resources that people will help you set up for pretty affordable um, use your tooling, use your resources, and it can really change your life. I mean, we just went through another layoff and my wife and I were like, I don't think I need to go back to work again. And so now I get to take the jump and work on these really fun projects. And for the first time in my life, I'm not stressing about where's money going to come from. We have a baby on the way. Is this baby going to be provided for? Is my wife going to be okay? It's like, no, because of Airbnb and because of this this secondary market of, of income on your own terms, you know, you can really create some freedom for yourself. Not necessarily financially free yet, but 
we're getting there. Getting yeah, close. I think that that's such good advice. Like everything that we do at some level is risky mm-hmm. and like waking up in the morning is yeah. is risky. <laughs> like investing in stock, having a W2, not having a W2 is risky. And so, yeah, I think that there's this level of choose your heart, like choose something that you're excited about. And it's so yeah. cool to see like you and your wife doing that. So thank you so much for coming. And yeah. we can't wait to see you grow. Where can people find you? So if there's someone who wants a property manager or there's someone who wants to connect with you about, you know, purchasing their first short-term rental, what's a good way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah. Um, so Instagram is a great way to find me. Uh, my name is Tyler Roland. Um, and we'll put that in the yeah. show notes too. Um, they can email us. We have a company email. Reach out. Say hello. Want to chat. Um, yeah, I would definitely say anything like that. LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn. Um, anything under my personal name, you can reach out to me and um, or our email. We can put that in the show notes. Um, you know, a lot of what I love doing is like our ability to just help now is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people want to get started and they don't know where. And just like what you guys are doing, I think it's so, so cool. Get transparent, real information out there so people know what they're getting into, but also know that it's going to it's gonna change you. It's going to change your life and you're for the better. Mm-hmm. So, I thank agree you. with that. Well, thanks so much, Tyler. And thank you all for tuning in. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend who's also interested in real estate investing. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a review wherever you listen or watch your podcasts.